1: Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Grace, who can be found at Hormone Hangover on Twitter. She was recently featured in a truncated 60 Minutes expose on detransitioners. That segment was very carefully bookended by the proper conceptualization of the trans individuals. But the de-trans experience is something that I have been exploring on my channel for some time. And Grace was kind enough to grace me with a fuller account of her gender journey. So as a detransitioner, she is female, and she decided that transition was something for her to embody. And at a certain point, she was brought to bear against a feeling that she had made quite a big mistake, and she reversed Of course. She's a very intelligent and kind and I want to say sparkly, but maybe that would be construed as offensive by certain small segment of the audience who doesn't like me complimenting females. I'll say she's very, very bright. So without further ado, here is Grace. How long have you been active publicly as a detransitioner? And what is your experience of being, you know, a public detransitioner?
0: Um, mm, well, I think starting in maybe 2019 or 2018, well, I detransitioned in 2018 and I think I spent a little time just wallowing in depression, um, by myself with the, well, I had the support of my family and my fiance, but I didn't have like a community or anything. Um, and then I think I made a Twitter um in like 2019 and I started getting connected to this pre-existing community and I got hooked up with a couple of other women who had detransitioned who were in my town and then we started having detransitioned brunch together and really we were like talking and figuring stuff out and being like oh my gosh like this is so this is so relatable like we're connecting and um that was really gratifying uh just like really, really cool, resilient women. And then mm-hmm. I uh, also went on Twitter. And uh, there's this burgeoning Twitter community of detransitioners. And I think my Twitter started a ca- it like started as anonymous. So I feel like it used to be this really like emotional, like, cri de corps type stuff on there. Just like, it's kind of, ah! And then I slowly transitioned to uh not being anonymous anymore and uh that was partially because i was going on 60 minutes i was like well i guess you know i'm going on 60 minutes so it's no point in, in being anon on twitter and um i also got involved in some activism with like a a nonprofit that carrie callahan put together well, I, I know you've interviewed her she's another uh i would say prominent detransitioned activist person um, so yeah, maybe like two years.
1: Hmm. What's your general take of the detrans community? And I suppose it's rather a young community. I mean, historically speaking, but there's mm-hmm. also people at different stages of their detransition. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. how, what's the general take of that? And are there more support that needs to be, be built up, uh, tools and.
0: Yeah. More support. It's definitely a young community. I, I love, I love about the D trans community that it's really people who are like, I think breaking out of breaking out of like a situation that's been bad for them and like trying to figure things out for themselves. And I think in some ways the community is so young that it's like, really like volatile and uh that's not very stabilized and the other thing is like the only thing that detransitioners necessarily have in common is that they stopped gender transitioning so really it's like all kinds of people in there i feel like it used to be like i was introduced to a very like rad femme style like detrans community when it started um was connected with that and then i feel like now there's different people have all different kinds of perspectives now um so i think it's really cool and i think uh what i what i do think is that like online communities are not going to meet the like profound needs that detransitioners may have for dealing with the fallout of detransition personally like I think it can be really really helpful but I think that something that's kind of uh, something that's really bad about the cultural moment we're in is that there's like a lot of there's a lot of culture of like here's like gender therapists and here's like gender doctors and all this stuff you know stuff to get you there but you know if you're like in crisis and detransitioning And like maybe morning body parts being gone, you know, really intense stuff like this. I think it's hard to find good professional support and uh, the community helps with that a lot. And people have done a lot of really good like resource building for each other. But I think that there's a strong need for like more robust professional uh, support as well.
1: It makes me think to what degree any given individual detransitioner got into the position of wanting to transition. To what degree were they inspired or led down that path through the internet? And Mm. in the act of detransitioning, being embodied as opposed to disembodied is very, you know, something that people have to deal with. And so being in person with the support group is going to satisfy that need to just be in a physical space with other people in a physical space to mend uh, and and reconnect with the body. Did you, how did you get um, into the mindset of wanting to transition? What were the precipitating factors?
0: Ooh. Um, well. It all started when I got on Tumblr as a thirteen year old <laughs> um, but I didn't transition until like nine years later, but I think that that was the certainly the first seed um, so I did that. I was on Tumblr, so I was kind of in like ambient social justice Tumblr world and I was very I was very online from a very young age. I was really anxious and I didn't like. Uh, I don't know. I didn't do. I spent a lot of time on the internet, um, and that was true for me all through college. And during college, I started identifying as non-binary. Um, so, but I was not at that point physically transitioning. I was just using they/them pronouns, and I, I was not even presenting very masculinely either. But I was, I was like experimenting with social transition in that way. Um, and then after college, um, I fell into a deep depression and like really doubled down on on all my internet, like obsessive internet usage and started like putting the pieces together in my head and being like, Oh, it actually makes sense that I'm like trans and I need to like. I need to transition and I just didn't see it before, but like now I see it. And, and I was like, uh, sublimating my true gender identity into all this other stuff and just like, uh, became really fixated on that idea. Um, I think because I was like, just not in a, not in a good spot in my life. And that felt like an almost like super clear cut path to being like, this will make me a functional person.
1: Hmm. What is a true gender identity? (laughs)
0: So I used to have this concept that everyone has a gender identity in them that's like, this is, I'm not even exactly sure how to say this. I used to have this concept that everyone has a gender identity, which, like, what is a gender identity? I don't know. It's sort of like like some kind of underlying bedrock animating force of your personality or Um, I don't want to say soul, but like your
1: soul, I was going to say like, like
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's it's like, um, it's like the idea that, that it's something that's like baked into you on a fundamental level, but everyone has to like discover it for themselves.
1: Hmm. So it, it comes packaged with kind of like a quest in some way you're (laughs) on a, you're on a gender journey to, to discover this very deep level of yourself.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's like, um, I mean, if you go, if you take like a gender studies class, um, which I took many um, people, I have been roasted for this many times, but I did take a lot of gender studies classes. Um, You know, it's this idea of like, everyone has a gender identity. How do you figure out what your gender identity is? Well, it's very nebulous, but like you examine how you feel and you examine what, presentation you're attracted to and you examine you know what emotional responses you have to people addressing you in different ways and it's like there's a lot of different things that go into it but it's very nebulous and it's very hard to pin down and I I see when people are trying to like figure out their gender identity I kind of see it as like an impossible like a necessarily impossible quest because you're it's just so So undefinable, I guess, Hmm. but but I think people just like find different parts of themselves and sort of assess them in whatever way, and then they're like, okay, I guess this adds up to this gender identity.
1: Is once you discover, if we can put yourself back in the mindset Mm -hmm. that you were in, once you discovered your gender identity is that when your life begins and then you figure out what to do with uh, what you are? Like, is it, is it a kind of a self project that then leads to being somebody in the world, like a doctor or a surgeon or a programmer or something like that?
0: Um, That was how I thought of it at the time. Um, I had conceptualized myself as having this underlying problem that was that my gender identity was not matching my body. And I Mm -hmm. was having all these troubles functioning at that time. And I attributed all of that to my gender identity being off or like my gender identity, you know, basically crying out to be expressed. This sounds really like, um, I don't know it doesn't sound very well thought out to me now and maybe it wasn't well thought out but I certainly like obsessed over it a lot so it Mm. felt very like that idea felt very concrete to me at the time and I also had read a lot of stuff in like the trans online community that had been like once I you know I was having so much trouble functioning and then once I like started on hormones and got my surgery, like everything else became possible and I didn't hate myself and I felt so much better. And then, so it is like your life starts now. And I think there's also a lot of pressure to transition as young as possible because of that, because it's like, well, you're not really living your real life until you transition. Um, so there's a little bit of a, like a built-in pressure, time pressure thing, that I think it's not conducive to making good decisions.
1: I apologize for this question. It's kind of personal, so we can dodge it or whatever, but were you okay with going through puberty? Was the female body for you something that you just kind of survived with until later on in college? Because you're kind of a developed woman when you go into this bi- non-binary and then the transition thing. Was the mm-hmm. Did you have a really rocky puberty and that kind of s- established – some sort of discontent that led to a gender fixation?
0: Um, I don't know. I feel like I had, I had a very Rocky, like, hmm, I had a lot of social anxiety and that definitely carried on through my high school years but I, I dressed extremely femininely in high school. Um, and I think probably if anyone was using like a 90s style trans diagnostic uh, framework on me, they might have looked askance at me for that reason. <laughs> but um, hmm. I, I, don't really, I don't really feel like my... Like I, I feel like I was extremely miserable in middle school. Uh, and then I was Hmm. still kind of miserable in high school. I don't really remember attributing that specifically to puberty. Um, it just all felt, I just always felt very like, Hmm. I don't know. It was was just, just hard for me to kind of like chill out and get along for uh, my adolescence, basically. I don't know why.
1: Were you attracted to, while you were in super online space, were you more of a consumer or producer of content? Did you do a lot of writing and drawing or art or something like that?
0: No, I was a total follower. Like I didn't, um, I didn't make a lot of stuff. Um, I didn't, I don't think I had a much of a voice of my own through my adolescence. And even to some extent through college, I think I spent a lot of time like seeing what other people were doing and sort of like trying on those identities on myself.
1: Hmm. So in it, would it be fair as, does it kind of make sense that the gender thing was a way of becoming yourself, uh, overcoming that younger self and situating yourself as an adult? Was it kind of a rite of passage in a way?
0: hmm. Yeah, well, it's such a big, um, like symbolically powerful step to like reshape your body to your own will. Um, so that really appealed to me. And at the time, I was feeling like I had just never come into my own as a person uh, at, at that age, and was feeling really like, frustrated and lost in that way. So I think it was like, absolutely like this is it like this is this is my first big choice as an adult out of college doing my thing um but it's funny looking back on it because I don't really see it as a choice that I like organically came through through deep self-understanding it seems more like something that I was I don't know picking up on and like from the world around me and like hoping you know kind of interpreting my own feelings through this lens in a way that I struggled with um, as a young person the whole time before that too.
1: Did you, what was your relationship to your male self for manifesting? Did you say I'm going to become a man and you have a name for this man and does this man have other behaviors? Is it a character that you thought of or were you focused more on just the steps was there a goal? I guess. Or a yeah, my were...
0: my goal was to be like um, my goal was to shed all this anxiety and this self consciousness that I saw myself having. Um, well, I did I did have a lot of anxiety and self consciousness, and I I had this fantasy that I would that like through transition I would become like very at ease and very like relaxed and. Uh, I thought I wouldn't be anxious about my body anymore. And I thought I would become like a very, what I saw as sort of like the inverse of the stuff about myself that I was frustrated with, which is I wouldn't be so neurotic and inner focused and ineffectual. And I thought I would just be like this easygoing, like extroverted, hmm. chill guy.
1: <laughs> Did you have a sense of men being f- in a state of freedom that you didn't lack was or were you focusing on the transition as a transformative process or were did you have a vision of men as or the class of man as somehow more confident and and freer in the world
0: oh yes so i have to say i um Oh, On my 60 Minutes interview, uh, they talked about a lot of different stuff with me, but um, one of the things that got left in was Leslie Stahl asked me, did you get the sense it would be easier for you if you were a man? And I was like, yeah, I just thought I'd be more self-conscious. And I got a lot of people being like, oh, you think it's so easy, don't you, to be a man? And I was like, I swear there was other stuff in that interview. <laughs> it's like, hey, I've learned a lot since then. Um <laughs> So I'm glad you asked me that because I would like to be redeemed for seeming like maybe I don't have a uh, understanding of the complexity of uh, the other well, sex. A- yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. So, um, I was looking back through my diary at the time and I saw something that was like, I know that women can do everything that men can do, but I just like, Feel like I have to do this, and I like feel like I have to become this. Um, I was just talking about feeling compelled and uh, being like, well, I know that I could do anything as a woman, but but I thought on some like deep level, I would just I don't know align. Well, I don't know. I honestly. I thought I would like align my, my body and my gender identity and, and have this confidence in a way that felt very individual to me. And I also did have a sense, like I, I didn't feel like the men I knew seemed to be doing really, really great and like were really, really confident. But I thought that they were not struggling with the precise body-related obsessions that I was struggling with. So I was like, I know that life is not like, perfectly easy for men and uh, but I was like you know I don't see men like I don't know having like eating disorders as regularly as as my female friends and I don't see men kind of obsessing over their weight in the same way and uh, you know I I didn't know that many people but there were there were some ways where I thought well some of the things that are really bedeviling me would go would fall away if I was able to live in a male role.
1: On your path towards transition, transition, were there moments or opportunities to think maybe transition isn't the problem, or maybe there's other issues. Maybe I can focus on my anxiety, my neuroticism through alternative forms of therapy. Were you given signals or opportunities to, participate in some sort of alternative, uh, therapeutic process.
0: You mean like from people around me or therapists or something?
1: Therapists, people around you an inner voice.
0: <laughs> I think my dad, uh, I think my dad was like, kind of confused about why I was doing all these medical procedures. He, hmm. you know, kind of was like, Hey, like, you know, so why do you, like, why do you feel like you want to do this? And I was like, well, you know, I babbled out something incoherent. And, you know, so, so I think my dad sort of prompted me in that direction at one point. And um, certainly I had moments of doubt within myself um, that I chose not to investigate further i saw them i explained them away to myself as manifestations of internalized transphobia hmm.
1: and did the medical slash psychiatric institution offer you those alternatives to investigate on a deeper level what was going on to pull apart
0: well hmm my therapist might have, uh, she might have said something like, there's no rush on this. And then I think I was like, I feel like there is a rush. And she was like, okay. So I think I maybe received some, some something like that. Um, my surgeon and my uh, doctor who gave me informed consent hormones didn't, didn't say anything like that.
1: To what degree did you hormonally uh transition?
0: so I was on testosterone for four months, and then I stopped to get my breasts cut off and then is that is that wa-
1: standard to stop for that or
0: <laughs> yeah okay yeah, and then I was on them and then I was on hormones again for like maybe another five months or something. I think I was on for nine months total.
1: How Um, did testosterone feel for you?
0: It was kind of crazy. It was like, uh, it was, um, I had a lot of energy and I was sort of, I don't know, I felt kind of like tough and like, masculine and embodied in a way that was very satisfying um it also was kind of changed my like inner monologue and thoughts in a a weird way I felt like I was like much more aggressive and like maybe I don't know more sexual or something it was like just just kind of a personality shift I definitely was less afraid of stuff I was less afraid of surgery when I was on testosterone Hmm. Uh, which was interesting.
1: Kind of less risk adverse.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally.
1: More hold my beer-ish.
0: Yeah, it was fun, and I'm a kind of hold my beer-ish person on occasion, anyway. So maybe it was too much. <laughs> oh, uh, <no.
1: laughs> I don't know. Did that exacerbate? Um, what? What? What was the negative side of that? Uh, like negative emotions, or did you? Were you? Did you? Did it provide escape from anxiety, from neuroticism? Was there a depressive aspect to it? Or was it kind of a high?
0: Yeah, it was like a high. And I felt, um, I don't know how much of this was the testosterone and how much of this was like, A psychological effect, but I had been felt. I felt like my life was very becalmed at the time, and I was just didn't know what to do. And then once I started testosterone, it was like, all right, we're like, I'm doing stuff. I'm taking care of myself, and that gave me a lot of hope to move forward. And so I felt like energized. It was like I was like, my life is back on track, and things are things are going to just keep getting better for me from here because I have what I need now to drive.
1: Did you dramatically change your dress to more stereotypically masculine uh forms? How did your fashion shift? It's it's kind of an odd question, but I just wonder how your aesthetics changed.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Um I did that kind of uh stereotypical transmasculine thing of buying um short-sleeved patterned collared shirts including some from the target boys section, which is embarrassing to admit, but you know, I feel like That's I can size, to you. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did like, um, I got, I got some, some sneakers and some jeans. I thought it was actually kind of a bummer. Cause I, I like fashion um and i was like men's fashion is pretty boring but i i was focused on passing so i thought i'm gonna you know wait till i get my beard and wait till i you know get my breasts removed and then i'm gonna start passing and then i can be a little more flamboyant but i feel like there's there's a time i had this idea that you have to like really like you know dress really masculinely to pass and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: tone it down so i was i was trying to
1: Sorry, this is a personal question again. Yeah. You've mentioned your breasts several times. Mm-hmm. What was your relationship to get them, getting them removed? Were they a negative object? Were they in your way personally or socially maybe? How did you conceive mm-hmm. of ridding yourself of them as a part of the process?
0: I started to distinctly notice um, having like, what I've conceived of as dysphoria around my breasts, um, in my like early twenties, which is, I know, not the usual timeline. Like usually people have it the onset at puberty. I think I had experienced some negative feelings before, but I think because of some stuff that happened in my life around that time, I s- began to develop a more distinct sense of discomfort with them. Um, And, um, started having like, you know, feeling the impulse of just wanting to like scrape them off my body. Hmm. Um, and that to me was a signal that I was supposed to be trans. Um, Hmm. I, I I now see it as obviously related to other circumstances in my life. Um, but it, uh, yeah, I had, and I, I saw them as like something that i would need to get rid of because i needed to pass to live as male and when i thought of passing you know having people perceive me as male as sort of like the line that i needed to cross over in order to be like living authentically so that felt like those were like they had to go um bind and because binding them really was not fun
1: no you weren't a fan of that?
0: No. No. It's, uh, it's not very comfortable.
1: I can't imagine it is. Was, was being free of them and passing as a man, to what degree did that have to do with being perceived as a woman because of certain forms of male attention that you didn't want to have to deal with anymore? Uh, public displays of uh, attraction.
0: Um. Yeah, I think I don't know. I you had a really interesting conversation with um, Helena and and uh, um, Watson from Twitter. Yeah, 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 Um, I feel like recently about this about um, like getting into getting into a sort of mindset of that, like as a woman, you're like not safe in the world, and you're constantly under threat of attack and assault and stuff. And I mean, I, I do think that women are, uh, vulnerable and I think all that, all that is, all that is real and worth, you know, worrying about to some extent, but, um, yeah, I, I had started to really obsess over it and feel, feel very like vulnerable um, and like ruminate on all the ways that I felt like I was limited as a woman um, and that I was like vulnerable to to men who were like stronger. And um, I think that was one of the things that was animating this, but it was also, I think, on, on a more personal level, I just needed to like, I don't know, needed to take control over how people saw me just in any, in any way, like before, before that, I was obsessed with getting piercings. And I got like, I don't know, like, tons and tons and tons of piercings in like really quick succession. Um, Hmm. I'm glad I didn't start on tattoos, because I would have gotten a bunch of them. um, But I was doing piercings instead. And I, I see that as the same kind of thing of feeling like just not really like feeling ownership and of my body, and just trying to customize it in some way. And like, make it my home. I don't know. I, I, there's probably some kind of psychological term for this, but Hmm. some sort of impulse. Uh,
1: at what point did you start to question your transition and take it seriously that you wanted to reverse course?
0: Mm Hmm. It was after I had surgery. Um it was not it was not good to have the surgery um and I knew pretty much immediately that something was not how I had expected it to be um, it's uh major surgery if you haven't had it, you just don't really know how it feels um, <laughs> I had a a a friend of mine who also regretted top surgery. This is very gallows humor, but she was like, I want to go back and tell myself like, why don't you cut off a smaller part of your body and see how that feels first? <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's really it's real, like just a toe or something. <laughs> see if you like it. Um, huh. Because it's really intense. Um, I mean having your body changed on that level is 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 profound and for me it was a profound loss and for a while I felt like it was going to be worth it because I thought that I would then you know I was like well this was awful but now you know now I'm free to go on and like be my true self I don't have to bind but the initial euphoria kind of fizzled away and all all of the things like underlying you know underlying lack of confidence like the original rush of of being like I'm on the right path had sort of given way to realizing that I was not feeling how I expected to feel and that I was realizing that maybe my expectations were a little unrealistic and thinking about how like oh um you know what like what do I do now like do I have to start like working out, uh, so that my hips don't look so wide so that my shoulders are broader. Or so, you know, what do I do? Like, how do I like restrict the way I move so that I don't sound so feminine? How do I like, I don't know, like, do, what other surgeries do I have to get? Am I going to get bottom surgery? You know, just like, was like, Oh my God, like, what if this never ends? Like, what if this never ends? And like, I don't feel I don't really feel better after top surgery. And I actually feel like really, really bad. Like part of me is like, maybe my, I totally destroyed my life just now. So I I was like, I just had to, I had to stop testosterone and think about things after that, after maybe about, I don't know, four months after surgery. Cause it just felt too, too crazy.
1: It seems like you, We're on your own for so much of this, the way that you're, how you've shared. doesn't seem like there was somebody there that was really deeply invested in helping you to conceptualize and think through these things on a slow manner. Maybe that's just your personality to be so uh, self-motivated and self-contained, but... Did you I was reach very out? Oh, you you were very secretive, yeah. I had um I
0: had, I mean I wasn't I wasn't on my own. Um, and in, in a lot of ways, I totally wasn't on my own because I had my my boyfriend with me, and I had my family who are all very supportive, and like they all like were there, you know, caring about me and like wanting the best for me but there were a couple of things going on that I think meant they felt like they couldn't voice concerns that maybe, you know, or like, I mean, people voiced concerns to me, but very, only very lightly, I think. And I think part of it was that I was very secretive and very brittle about everything. And I think I was not easy to talk to about what I was planning because um. I don't know there's this narrative there's this some stupid narrative that I picked up that was like people don't understand like you can't even talk to people about it because they don't get it like um and I think I was also probably feeling kind of shaky you know how people sometimes are a little bit uh like self-protective and like secretive when they're they're not sure that their reasoning holds up to scrutiny so they're like don't like i don't want to talk about this you know how this goes sometimes with people Mm -hmm. um that's kind of my post-game psychoanalysis of myself i wasn't thinking of it in those terms back then uh Mm -hmm. I think I was thinking like no one no one can understand what I'm going through except me and I have to figure this out all by myself and no one could help me and no one could understand. And then on the other hand, you know, there's this huge uh social taboo against questioning people's gender identity and uh questioning that like anything going on with gender transition could be maladaptive or problematic and you know, I'm was in a very like lefty, like trans positive environment and Uh, so as you know, my whole family, everyone's very immersed in that kind of culture. So I think there was humongous, there was a social script that everyone understood they were supposed to follow, which is just to be like, I'm so glad you figured this out for yourself. Like, sounds good.
1: Hmm. Did that aspect of feeling like, or that narrative of nobody understanding me, did that change? Was there a moment where you're like, began to open up? after you got off testosterone, was that a part of the detransition process to reassess your, your privacy and your fragility as, as you called it?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, the first, I think the first, the first step was, I think, I don't know. The, 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 Sorry, um, let me think for a second here. So having to basically publicly go back on something that was self-evidently like a humongous deal like this, that was very humbling for me. (laughs) Hmm. And I had uh, no no way to tell myself that i had it all figured out after that because i had obviously made a huge mistake and from i think from then on i was so i i felt so like broken open and i don't know just like sad i guess that i i had to like reach out to people and i think that probably the i was kind of this like fairly sad fairly like a person for a long time and that necessitated like i couldn't help being super vulnerable and open because i was such a mess back then Um, because it was just so it was just so awful. Um, And then that allowed me to forge these connections with people in a way that I hadn't in a long time, because I'd been so guarded um, about my whole transition. And once I started like connecting with people on that level, that was really profound. And I began to just realize how universal my problems were and how much like other people could understand and how much like you know maybe like people weren't going through gender transitions but a lot of the stuff that i had dealt with of you know whatever body issues and insecurity and not knowing what to do in my life and to social anxiety and all this stuff was like so deeply relatable to like everyone And I don't know, it really, that's something I'm grateful for about detransition because I was a real kind of like stuck in my ways, ideologue type of girl before that. And now I'm like, just feel very, I feel like it really humbled me and made me, made me a lot more open to the complexity of, of life and how much we're all struggling in it. So, you know, that's
1: good. Has there been an aspect of seeing yourself as yourself or knowing yourself more than you did before and mm-hmm. the way of that you've changed how you interact with people. Have you discovered something that you were overlooking perhaps?
0: Hmm. Well, um, for one, I've had to let go of the need to control how people view me, um, to, to a large extent. um, I mean, I don't really like being detrans. I don't. It's not great having a detransitioned body, but um, I think just practicing acceptance with that is is good pra- is good practice for just accepting how the world is imperfect. And um, I think I think going through a period of of profound suffering and grief helps you have more grace towards others Um, once you've experienced that yourself, like, I don't know. I can't remember what question you asked me, so maybe I'm not answering it correctly anymore. What did you ask me?
1: Well, I asked about yourself, but I also want to pair that with asking about your relationship to the world. Do you know what you want to do? did you, have you discovered new capacities and how you can be engaged in the world that give you uh ideas about what you want to do for people or with people
0: Mhm So definitely I I want to communicate about my experiences and I I want to write I really like writing I have mm-hmm. a blog that I've been working on and um Is it public uh, Yeah um, it's, um, I'll, I'll link it. I'll, I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes if you okay. want. I wrote yeah, I like will, a, I, What's I had the title a really, though? it's called hormone hangover, which is my Twitter handle as well. Yeah. I had a really productive period when I wasn't supposed to be, uh, well, I went before 60 minutes came out. Um, they were like, let's try to keep everything like let's try to like, not, not let the cat anymore out of the bag for a while about, uh, the show and like, who's on it. Let's just, you know, obviously like Jenny Boylan kind of talked about it, but let's, you know, keep it. And then I was like, maybe I'll just mostly not tweet for that period of time. So when I wasn't tweeting for a few months, I wrote like a 10,000 word essay about Hmm. regretting top surgery. So that was really productive but now yeah. I'm back on Twitter. Oh,
1: okay. And so. Now you're just shooting out the sentences.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah.
1: Have you been in contact with the other detransitioners that were showcased on that documentary? And is there anything that you feel comfortable about sharing about their take on how the episode was handled? Or is mm-hmm. that on the... DL. I am
0: in touch with them. Um, I feel like I should let them speak for themselves, though. I, uh, I'm sure, sure, yeah. they'd be happy to talk to you.
1: Were you? I am in contact with at least one of them. Are you satisfied with that story? And what do you think is the positive and the negative outcome of that? Even though it's only been a couple weeks, a few weeks now.
0: I'm really, I'm really happy that they that they put it out there. It was um I could see that there was a lot of activist pushback against it and um I think it feels really significant that they put detransition on on Sixty Minutes on you know, Primetime TV in America. I think it's been kind of a taboo topic and you know, after it aired there was pushback from Glad on Twitter. Um, and you know, people were sort of being like, well, you shouldn't even tell this story. Like you shouldn't, there's like no reason to bring this up because it's so, such a small insignificant little nothing of nothing. It's like, this is nothing. You shouldn't even talk about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously I would like there to be more, I would like there to be more coverage. I hope there's more, more stories, all that would be good. But this feels very significant. And I'm really, really grateful to the producers and to Leslie Stahl and to everyone at 60 Minutes for, like, putting it out. And I thought it was great.
1: To—while it seems like you've done what I think is the best thing to do and take full ownership over your own decisions— To what degree do you think that the medical industry and the psychiatric industry at this point in time is responsible for detransition and young people making mistakes? Uh,
0: I think that they share responsibility. Um, I, I take responsibility for my choices, but I don't take responsibility for the ways that my healthcare providers didn't do their side of things and I know it's very subjective like what their duties are but if you watch the 60 minutes segment they talk about something called the WPATH standards of care which is a document that provides best practices for gender transition and there are things about the WPATH standards of care that I don't agree with and there are th- there, you know there are quibbles I have I would I would love to talk with those that committee and you know hash things out a little bit but I tell you what uh, there is some stuff in the standards of care that would have been really great if someone had taken the time to do them with me uh, or even suggest it and um, is things like doing mental health assessments for comorbid conditions and like assessing uh, histories of other mental health things that could be leading into gender dysphoria and i mean just like digging into what gender dysphoria means to a person at all like gender dysphoria what does that mean it's a it's a word describing an internally felt condition to to say that everyone who says they have gender dysphoria is like experiencing the same thing it's like well obviously that we have no way of knowing what other people's internal experiences are. But digging into that a little bit as recommended in WPath seems, seems smart to me. So mm. I, I think that, um, I think that therapists and doctors who are sort of just saying like, Oh, like people, people know who they are already and we don't really need to do anything. To me, that feels like they're not fulfilling their duty of care
1: what about gender studies do you think that that needs to be assessed at a do you have a dog problem or hamster
0: sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry my uh, laptop is uh, out of battery can you say oh, that no.
1: again
0: <laughs> do you I need also, to plug in i got it
1: okay I'm wondering to what degree does gender studies as a installment in academic institutions needs to be assessed for the outcome of teaching young people all of this theory? And if they have any... uh, responsibility for uh, putting uh, these ideas in your head, not to diminish your own responsibility, but to what degree do, do we need to push back on an academic level against that discipline? If it is a discipline, a study. What's your take on gender studies at this point? Do you rage gender against that studies. particular spectrum machine?
0: Mm-hmm. Gender studies i uh, am experiencing a lot of inner turmoil right now i don't know what to say about gender studies let me say this uh we were talking about earlier about how the concept of gender identity is like once you once you hear about it uh that you have a gender identity within you that becomes like Something that you have to uncover in yourself. It's like you said, it was like a quest. I think that idea is quite potentially an info hazardous idea. Do you know that term?
1: No, I should. An though.
0: <laughs> it's info-hazard. where it's it's something where if you learn it, it like changes you, or like ha- it's like a piece of information that like causes. I guess in the name it implies like problems. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, this is great. I can figure out my gender identity. Um, And maybe that works out for a lot of people, I think. But for at least for someone like me, it is basically um, an excuse to like compulsively monitor your thoughts. And um, I don't know like obsess obsess over your own presentation and your own internal felt sense of self which of course is in flux all the time anyway so it like is never fully done um and there's also this expectation that it like very possibly could lead into hormones and surgery like the gender identity framework so i think that teaching everyone that they have a gender identity is not the neutral idea that I think many of my professors thought it was, um, and I also think that the program at my college just was uh, not very rigorously put together. But you know, that's that's just my experience. I liked some of the, I liked some of the second wave feminist stuff I read about like, a creative fiction about women becoming witches and, like, you know, doing, doing Bad things uh, in the dark. magical stuff. Magical. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know.
1: And an internet culture, to what degree do you think it needs to change? Or are... To what degree, that's a hard thing. Like, to what degree, it's kind of a culture war issue or question, but to what degree do you think we need to provide, especially young people, alternative modes of ingesting information and, and uh, getting obsessed with different things uh, or saving them, different providing things. guardrails, maybe, from falling guardrails. into a pit? Yeah.
0: Oh. Uh...
1: Media liter- literacy question
0: media literacy question no, yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking about this because like you know when you absorb stuff as a kid, and a lot of a lot of people get on the internet from a really young age and they're like just absorbing like you don't know what they're absorbing. there are people who are you know get on 4chan from a really young age and are seeing like you know people dying and stuff um. I was on Tumblr, so I was just exposed to an enormous stream of fan fiction, which is its own kind of, uh, thing to, uh, recover from psychologically. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to my, uh, shout out to my, uh, Tumblr girls out there, but, um, I don't know I really don't know Benjamin because like it's the internet what can we do obviously I don't think that people should be in communities that encourage obsessive ruminative unrealistic uh like thought patterns but how do we get how do we provide a better environment for young people I don't know I mean do you do you have any ideas about this
1: well, I kind of tend toward the Jonathan Height, no cell phones until you're a certain age. Uh, mm-hmm. Monitored small use of the Internet, I think, is the most important thing. Uh, I didn't discover the Internet until because of my age until I think I was 19 and I spent all day on the Internet. Uh, One day, because it was available at a library that I was next to, and I got, Uh. I I spent all that time on that computer in this world, and then I stepped outside, and the real world seemed less real now.
0: Mm -hmm. It seemed like
1: uh, this is less manipulatable, and reality is what I can will into existence, and the online world is more a realm of will, where I can manifest my own intentionality, whereas the real world's so slow, and has all these rules to it, like gravity and time and space, you
0: know? Yes. I'm so oppressed by gravity and time and space. Totally.
1: Okay. So some people worry about the patriarchy. I'm like, well, what do we, what do you do about death?
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I know. Yeah. I know what you mean about uh, internet feeling more real, even though it's not, even though it's obviously not real life, it definitely is um where you have more control over how people see you and you can like curate your internet environment Mm -hmm. um and i think for a lot of us we just feel more comfortable in that world and then try to like take that internet identity offline and try to make that make that real or just spend all day on the internet which is honestly just what i do anyway to this Mm. day so Mm. so that's good
1: you, from speaking to you and hearing your story, it seems like you have a very tenacious mind, heart, and imagination that were directed inward uh, and ruminating over and obsessing over things that were internal and maybe negative things and propagating negativity. What do you do with all that energy and all that uh, that that force that you have now? And how have you discovered new things to direct that? That and that make you feel good, uh, make you feel more alive. Maybe I don't want to put words into your mouth, but
0: oh, yeah. Um, I have a lot of hobbies, and um, uh, I love living in a high stimulation environment. So, right now, I live in New York City, which is amazing because it's like the buildings, the people, the museums, the stuff, mm. and you have to, you know, you have to get on these horrible subways all the time and deal with everything that's always happening on them which is kind of bad but you know at least it's interesting um and i i don't know i just really try to be more intentional with my environment you said that i had a fairy-like aesthetic which i really appreciate but i'm trying to like cultivate like beautiful interesting things around me and do beautiful interesting things Um, something that's felt really good for me in detransition was uh, reconnecting with hobbies and interests that I had before I transitioned like back when I was a girl like before I had the internet even so I got really into knitting again which is a, a hobby of mine and I've been playing the flute which was something I started learning in middle school and I've been gardening, which is something my mom taught me, and I've been writing, which is something my dad taught me. And just, uh, you know, reconnecting with the parts of me that were there before the Internet kind of got its hooks in my brain has felt hmm. very grounding.
1: It kind of seems like it swallowed a lot of different avenues towards manifestation. I...
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of a weird like tempting thing about the internet is it offers you these like pre-packaged narratives for your life um i'm on, i'm really talking about what i would call like the women's internet of tumblr that i was on world where it's like here are all these identity boxes that cover all these different aspects of the human experience and i think finding the identity both sexual and gender feels like the thing that you have to do in order to self-actualize it's like i don't know like a dungeons and dragons character sheet you're like trying to figure out if you're a paladin or, and if you're a, you know an elf or a gnome <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. i really uh, feel like i shouldn't have said that but it's no. just a metaphor that bubbles into my mind <laughs> probably well because...
1: i worry about uh people especially young people being uh, presented with here's your gender identity what is it and here's your sexuality what is it and you have this whole palette to create when ultimately that stuff is so nebulous internal and not terribly interesting i mean knitting is interesting cuz it's there and you can give it to somebody else you can't you can't like obsessively sculpt your sexuality i guess you could and then give it with <laughs> give it to somebody but here here's my fray sexual or my heterosexual yeah. sexuality—it doesn't doesn't add up to anything that I don't know. There's just something missing there, and there's something that just remains nebulous that that begs for more and more obsession because it doesn't ground you into. Here's the project. I I did a painting, and it's either ugly or beautiful, but it's outside of me and it's there in the real world. Whereas this gender stuff, it just never ends.
0: Mm -hmm. well because it's your internal state and you're like i feel like people are waiting for their internal state to like crystallize and organize itself into some coherent way Mm -hmm. and i just don't know if it you know like you said it it never (laughs) it never does at least it didn't for me i will only speak for myself please no one be too upset with me for saying this but i i agree let's um and and stuff like gender identity and sexual identity, you know, it's not that those aren't, like, useful terms to a lot of people. But it's definitely, like, trying to focus on finding just, like, the word that fits you is, like, to me, a futile quest because of how textured and subtle the human experience is. Hmm. But I don't know maybe i just haven't found the right label yet
1: <laughs> so what's next for you
0: um, well um i don't know i'm um, i'd like to write some more and i'm working on putting together some presentations to give to okay. doctors to,
1: you're going to do some public speaking then and present some information that you find is important for doctors to know
0: yeah i think that people are are there's a real movement to go in the direction of saying like we don't have to offer any sort of mental health assessment like trans stuff should be like completely informed consent and i, I think that i would like to at least voice my experience and see if people um are interested in performing some of the assessments recommended by WPATH standards of mm. care for instance
1: and are you connected with uh, some sort of uh, formal or informal organization that mm-hmm. is uh, gathered around this is there something we could plug or is it a cabal <laughs> of secret witches <laughs> <laughs> doing magical it's not, things
0: <laughs> it's uh well um we don't do magical things. We do. I do. I am the president of um, an organization called Gender Care Consumers Advocacy Network, GCCAN, G C C A N dot org. I'll give you the link so you, so you can put it in the show notes. And um, you're, and
1: you're the president.
0: I am the president.
1: I didn't know I was speaking to a president this whole time.
0: Well, I know I'm very presidential, so I'm surprised you didn't pick up on it. But you
1: present uh, as a president. You do. <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> um yeah, so we're uh within that context, we're trying to um, just just advocate for s- considering transition as part of as part of something that like people people need to decide on with like full information and and something that people should have all the regular mental health support that they would have. And all the information Mm. that you would want to have for any other medical procedure or psychiatric treatment.
1: I believe I know at least one other member of that organization. I believe. Corinna?
0: That's right. I think you interviewed her somewhat recently.
1: Yeah. Well, it's been a year ago when when GC Can first uh, announced itself, splashed upon the scene.
0: And here we are, plugging away. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Karen is great. She has a really good perspective on things.
1: Very, She's very been a chill. trans
0: person for a long time. Yes. Yeah. And she's got a great, uh, she has a gigantic oh. white fluffy cat. So oh,
1: I appreciate that. that
0: about her as well. <laughs> hmm.
1: Cat person. Are you a cat person? Mm
0: hmm. Yes. Or a
1: bird person. I've What's that little... sound? I, I hear some sort of animal sound.
0: Uh, I won't disclose what sound that was. I think it might have been a sneeze. No, um, I thought it was a parrot. Or a no, 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 no. Um, no, I'm a cat person. I have, I have my little. Uh, maybe I'll pull her into the scene. I feel like this yeah, is good us, for YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah, Come here. Oh yes, this is uh oh. Zip.local. She's my little oh, uh oh. uh she's like one. She didn't like that,
1: she said. You you gave her an internet name too.
0: hmm Yeah, she's named after uh she's named after some programming lessons I was doing last summer. Hmm.
1: Well, Grace, thank you very much for your time and joining my channel and adding your story to my meager collection of D-Trans stories.
0: Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Um, It was a pleasure.
1: Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.